0: Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro Boo, Jim Bob holy moly! How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop huh? in the King's Herald Barber Shop.
1: You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in futility. Um, First up, he's a writer for the King's Herald. He's the podcast whiz himself, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today?
2: It's going pretty good, Will. It is trade deadline week, so I am excited to see how the NBA shifts over the next five or so days. Or if it shifts at all. It will. (laughs) Okay. are you promising me this time? tony has got insider information folks we'll we already got that. a pj tucker trade so it's already begun <laughs> yeah sure the big stuff. Move
1: yeah and last but certainly not least he's a he's a former sacramento king's head coach he's a gm and a color analyst the general manager of a WNBA. i'm sorry a wmba champion an indiana basketball hall of famer and the true pride of french league himself mr jerry reynolds jerry absolute pleasure to have you here today well
0: thanks guys it's always good to be back and uh, talking some nba basketball especially Kings, especially after two wins. uh, And certainly there were two wins. I saw them
1: (laughs) with our own eyes. So just to recap for a second, um, since we last talked, the Kings uh, have come out of the all-star break going uh, three and two with wins over the the lowly Houston Rockets, um, a win against the uh, Washington Wizards that came down to the buzzer and and, uh, a game that they surprised. They kind of snuck up on the Boston Celtics a little bit and uh, beat them in the fourth quarter as well. Uh, uh, in between those, there were some losses to Atlanta and Charlotte that saw um, Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, face off against the Kings for the very first time and uh, Tyrese Halliburton uh, playing against LaMelo Ball for the first time. Guys, do you have any general thoughts uh, since the All-Star break on what the Kings are doing?
0: Well, uh, you know, my opinion is uh, they've come out of it. They're a little better. They're playing a little better. And I think uh, certainly with the what we saw, the just, of course, the Boston game is is really – a an eye opener. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, other than uh, the Kings played very well, and and Boston really didn't. They they really embarrassed themselves. But uh, you know, I, I think the Luke Walton going with the small lineup, obviously due to the injury to Marvin and Bagley, but clearly the he's got his best five players on the floor, and it's made the team better.
1: I think that makes a big difference, and I, I, I in no way want to blame Marvin Bagley for the way the season has gone in terms of the Kings winning or losing, but having your five best players on the floor all at the same time, hey, it seems to, uh, to do wonders in the win column for the Kings, and uh, I think it's a little past due. I know that there's GM posturing and whatnot, but I've been, we've been kind of clamoring to see Tyrese Halliburton in the starting lineup for for a little while now, and th- that those fourth quarter minutes where they play that. Fox Halliburton, Buddy Barnes, Holmes lineup is is a good one, so it's it's nice to see that they finally get an opportunity, or they're kind of forced because of injuries, to uh to have that lineup out there for uh, an extended period of time. Tony, what did you think of uh of their play in recent days?
2: Well, um, I think obviously, like Jerry said, they've been playing better, uh, particularly since that you know nine game losing streak. And while I don't blame uh I don't credit that to Marvin Bagley's absence. I think anytime you take your crunch time five, like this is not a new lineup for Luke Walton. This is a lineup Luke Walton has been relying on all year. And now we're just seeing way more of it. So if that results in more wins and a better basketball team, that shouldn't really surprise anybody. The bench is going to be thin as it was before. So I think the Kings are in a position now where they've got a really good lineup that they can play for. I don't know how, how much does our, does one lineup realistically play in an NBA game, like 20 minutes together, maybe beginning of the first end of the fourth. And then it's sort of um, mixed up, but if they can survive, you know, 10 or 15 bench minutes, which is a, it's not a, uh, an easy ask for this bench unit, but if that happens on nights, they will compete with, I don't know, just about any team in the league because that starting lineup and that crunch time lineup. And I, I have the numbers here. I don't know if it's uh, good to go over, you know, stats on a podcast, but that lineup has been playing well all year, and now we're seeing a lot of it. So I, I'm a little bit optimistic, I guess, moving forward about the Kings' ability to win games if you're one of those people that wants them to win games. I know a lot of folks don't, but um, I love the new lineup. I wish they've done it earlier, and and I think it's going to continue performing well.
1: Tony, you uh, you you had an interesting tweet this morning about uh, the defense of that lineup as well. Would you, uh, would you talk about that for a second?
2: Yeah, so um, the Kings... Uh, if you take their season as a whole, so not one specific lineup, their entire roster, they have the worst defense in the NBA. They're giving up 119.4 points per 100 possessions. And that's a better way to gauge defense because teams play at a different pace. So if you just, you know, kind of lump everybody off at 100 possessions, it gives a a more uh, broad and clear metric for how teams are defending. So like I said, the, the team as a whole, worst defense in the league. That lineup, is giving up just 108 points per 100 possessions this season. That would be the second best in the NBA if every, you know, that's accounting for the fact that every team doesn't play their best lineup for all their minutes. But the point is the Kings go from a horrible defensive team to a pretty good defensive team with that lineup. And that is a little bit surprising because I know we've we've fielded questions about how the Kings will be able to defend if they have such a small backcourt and frontcourt with Fox, Buddy, and Halliburton. Well, it turns out there hasn't been a problem there. And in fact, they're defending better than any lineup the Kings have played all year. And just for additional context, that 108 points per 100 possessions that that lineup is giving up, like I said, that would be the second best in the NBA. Um, So if you want to give it uh, some comparison, that's about how the Philadelphia 76ers play defense this year. Um, They are the second best defense in the NBA. So when the Kings have those guys on the court, they are defending at Philadelphia 76ers level, which is uh, pretty good compared to where they are on the season.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it's interesting. I just want to say one thing on that. I think when you have that lineup out there, I'm a real believer in the John Wooden theory in that uh, any position that you can get a quickness advantage, uh, it really makes you better. Uh, and when you look at that lineup at every position, you, you almost have a quickness advantage and a very really athletic, you know, I mean, nobody's because that all of a sudden Harrison as a four is a very quick athletic four. And of course, for Sean Holmes, there's no centers in the league any more athletic and mobile than uh, Rashawn. And of course, Fox is Fox. I mean, my goodness. And buddy uh, as a two guard is uh, pretty, pretty common. Pretty average athletically to below average as a small forward, uh, you know, probably average, even though he's shorter. So anyway, and I, I think it has a lot to do with it. I, I think you know you've got advantage, quickness wise. It shows up defensively, of course. It shows up offensively as well. Uh, and then of course, just the final thought on that the lineup change, what it what it d- did to me. And, and and Halliburton didn't play particularly well, but what he what he does, he instinctively he's a ball mover you know, quite honestly, you know, and, and, uh, I'd said earlier months ago that I thought moving buddy to the bench would be a, a good move. Uh, well, in my mind, whether it's buddy or Marvin, the the team is, is better off with, with one of them coming off the bench that uh, to strengthen the bench number one. And it also makes you a more mobile versatile team, you know, uh, as a starting lineup. And I think that's, that's kind of what's happened, but, but, uh, you know, and then the, the the last part of the defense, which you made a great point there, Tony, is that I think as you get better offensively, well, it it makes you better defensively because you get a chance to play five on five more often.
1: Jerry, how much can you attribute some of this to as well, coming off of uh, having a week off for these guys? You know, obviously Fox dragging through close to the all-star break, you could tell that that man was was worn out. Somebody who's who's been a coach in the league, how much do you see as a change when when players that you were coaching came off of an all-star break, even if it was just a three or four days off? Because I know when you coached, there wasn't a full week like that off. Um, how much of a change was there in terms of uh, players coming back from the all-star break?
0: Well, well, I think it really helped and it really helps guys who aren't involved in the all-star, which I had a lot of experience with that because none of our guys <laughs> were ever involved with the all-stars. So, uh, you know, there are certainly more guys k- close to it this with the Kings, but, but I, I think that is, was very true. And I agree with all your points here on, on De'Aaron. I, I thought he was kind of almost sleepwalking a few games at times. He didn't look like himself at all. And, uh, but uh, you know, with, with all the guys getting time off for the Kings, that certainly I think is an advantage to them over some of the teams that Boston included would be an example of having a couple of all-stars and, uh, and certainly even, even Washington. So, uh, so yeah, I think it, uh, it helped, you know, just like uh, when they had the time off uh, before playing due to Memphis cancellations, a couple I thought it really helped them. And uh, so, so we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, you know, that's the key
1: sure and 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 kind of rolling off of that a, a little bit jerry the the trade deadline is in 5 days and the kings have been one of the media darlings in terms of moving or not moving and it seems like every single day it changes harrison barnes is for sure leaving and the celtics are taking a swing and then oh harrison barnes isn't leaving it's pretty much confirmed that the kings are staying and that sometimes that's Monty McNair's decision, and depending on the writer, sometimes that's Vivek Ranadive worrying about that a little bit. Jerry, uh, do you see? Do you see the Kings going out there and making moves in the second half uh, before the second half of the season here in the next five days and changing up their roster? I I
0: I'd almost be surprised uh, if if they do. Uh, I mean, I, my my feelings are the same. It's like there's no player that's that's untradable. I mean, if there's a deal that makes you better short term or for sure long term, in your best estimation, you make that deal. And I think there 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 may be a deal or two the Kings could and should make, but we don't we don't know what those are. But uh, he, I I would if I'm the Kings, I, I would be looking to make a move or two. I certainly would because I think you've got some uh, problems on the horizon. I think you've got to find a way to keep Rashawn Holmes, and. Uh, uh, to my mind, he's really the second most valuable player on his team, and uh, and so if he lo- you lose him for nothing, I don't care who you draft. I don't care who you draft. They're not going to be as productive as he is right now, and and so and then getting a free agent center is tough. Uh, of course, I, I I really thought the Kings made a mistake last year in, in not keeping Alex Lynn. I thought he was the perfect backup for Rashan. Uh, you know. To, Tough guy tries hard. Uh, anyway, uh, you know I'm just not a Whiteside fan. You probably figured that out. Uh, but but I, I just thought you know that he Lynn and with Lynn and Holmes, you you really have the position covered pretty well.
1: Well, and Alex Lynn came out in that Wizards game that the Kings played just the other day and had uh, 13 points and 12 rebounds. So you're not. And that was in limited minutes. So you aren't wrong in that regard in terms of his impact on the floor against the Kings.
0: Yeah. You know, that's the good news for the Wizards. And and I would and I I would tell them, though, I mean, I think Alex Lynn's a backup center. Uh, You know, he has to start for him because he's the best they've got. But I, that's why I thought, you know, boy, I think he's a really good backup center. <laughs> and and uh, you you know you you sometimes you the grass isn't always greener.
1: Now, Tony, obviously being a resident of Boston, we get we get some insider information from Tony in terms of the uh, the general feel of uh, of how Boston's uh, gauging this trade with Harrison Barnes. Tony, um, how likely do you think it is that? Uh, that the Kings end up swapping in that particular deal that we've heard a thousand times, some, some variation of Harrison Barnes to the Celtics.
2: I don't know anything that isn't uh, public obviously, but it is interesting that everybody close to the organization is um, putting the pressure on Danny Ainge, maybe inadvertently, but you've got Brian Scalabrini on the broadcast. Every time they show Harrison Barnes, he's talking about, Oh, you know, this is the guy that the Celtics are targeting. You got Kendrick Perkins on the post game show is watching him and he's saying, It's time to hit the panic button in Sacramento. Danny's got to make a move. So Danny's got all of his former players, all of his team analysts talking about how they got to make a move. But then you have uh, those inside reports, always talking about how Danny Ainge is hesitant to actually up the offer enough to make it valuable for the opposing general manager to make a move. So you never know with Danny Ainge, but I got to say, following it closely here, as I like to do because a lot of my friends are Celtics fans, This is the most uh, hot, I think, the seat has ever been for Dan. Well, not ever been, but since the 08 championships for Danny. The most hot the seat has ever been for Brad Stevens. Um, It was interesting that Stevens came out before the game and said that, I'm not going to Indiana. I'm staying in Boston. I'm a mass hole. I drink Dunkin' Donuts and then they come out and lose big to the Kings after he just sort of dedicated himself back to the franchise. So I do think there is some real problems there. And I, I do think that, like I said, the heat is on Danny to make a move. So, uh, will he, who knows, um, is this like the most pressure he's been in to make one? I kind of think so. So it's an interesting dynamic heading into the deadline. Yeah, you
0: know, there's, you know, there's two things there. I would like to add, uh, and really a great point. So, but knowing Danny, as I do, and I, I you know, I'm convinced and I am not saying I'm, I'm probably wrong, but I'm convinced with Danny. One of the issues he's always had, he has to win trades in yeah. his mind. Sure. You know, I mean, he is just one of those. And he always has just about, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of the sharpest basketball people I've ever known. And, and, you know, I, I put him right there with Larry Bird as far as real basketball people you know, that, 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 no, the eye test works for them. Uh, they don't need a lot of analytics guys telling them stuff they, they already know. Uh, but, uh, but I, I think with Danny and, and I think it, 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 the Boston people are probably right. Almost he needs a little pressure to say, you know, we, we got to do something here and, I, and it doesn't have to be a home run for the Celtics. It has to be make us better. Now yeah. we can't worry about uh, two years from now because I may not be here two years from now. And, uh, and then the the second point, uh, and, and and I think with the Brad Stevens things, uh, you know, I, he may not have that choice uh, about where he coaches. Uh, and uh, I mean, really, I, and I think he's a terrific coach, and and just a just a wonderful young man. By the way, I mean, it, just how he seems is how he is. But uh, you know, I, I again, I go back to kind of a philosophy of a guy of Larry Bird always used to we talk about a lot. He'd always say, you know, and he followed it in his own mind, you know, after three years, you know, coaches start losing their, you know, their, their end with players. Now, I I think that's a little bit short, which I've told him, I, I think it's more like five years, but, but I think there is a point, especially if you have the same players, yeah. Now, you know, it's mm. it's different if you've, you're you flip and flop and you're, you're, you know, so basically five years with the same guys. And that's why college coaches can last a long time because they got different guys all the time. And uh, pro, so, you know, it's kind of like with Popovich. I think any player, if they had, unless you're winning super big, everything works. But but I do think Brad may be at the point, you know, this is his eighth year. Uh, you know, his laid back style and all, uh, I, I think, Sometimes uh, it, it's great, but I think with this Celtic team, they, they truly need a little more fire. You know, I mean, they like texting Tony last night. I mean, talk about a team that looks like they're on cruise control. Mm-hmm. They really weren't ready to play in the first quarter, and that's really cost them the game, uh, which which they deserve to lose. And you know, just I mean, come that they didn't come ready to play, and, and it, it cost them. So, you know, I mean. We saw the change. You know how laid-back coach of Atlanta Hawks was let go, and a guy named Nate McMillan took over, and the Atlanta Hawks are good now. You know, just and not the players aren't any different, but they're but they're, you watch them play, they're playing harder and tougher now. How long will that last? You know, Nate's got a shelf life, always has, but uh, short term, probably works.
2: Jerry, do you, um, so we, we see trade proposals from fans all the time on Twitter. Thankfully, you're not there. But I'm curious if there is, like, do you think the Celtics can make an offer that you or Monty McNair would accept for Harrison Barnes? Like, what is your, do they, do they, first of all, do they have enough young assets to make it worth it for you? And then if they do, what is something where, where you think, all right, Danny, you've offered enough there, and I, I really got to consider this if I'm Monty McNair? Well, I, I don't
0: like the assets I've heard. I mean, I, I like Naismith uh, coming out of college, and and I, I and I I could see taking him as part of something, because I think there's hope there. Yeah. Romeo Langford can't play; he just can't play. Yeah. He wasn't any good in the G League, and uh, you know, at some point, uh, now, uh, uh, sounds mean, and, and hopefully I'm proven wrong, and he develops into to the second coming. But uh, to, to date, he is not a basketball, NBA basketball player. Kings have better guys on the roster than him now that aren't playing. Uh, so, so why would you get excited about that? Uh, Naismith, it, it have to be picks. You know, you, 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 you know, if you're going to move a, a, a very good player now, who's playing at his best and has got three good years at least ahead, uh, which uh, then you better, you better get something uh, in that package that you think short term is going to make you better. Not necessarily, not, not tomorrow or not this year, but, uh, but, uh, you know, you, this franchise can't wait three years to get value for a Harrison Barnes. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah. I think my line is, and I know some people would disagree with this, but I do want one pick and I would gladly take the 2021 pick. Cause I think the Celtics are worse this year than they will be in the future. So give me the pick for this year which right now I think is in the 20s. It'll get better if they get Harrison Barnes, of course, but I still think they will be better years after this. So I, I'll take the pick this year, and I need at least one of the better prospects they have. So you got it's got to be either uh, Time Lord Bob Williams, it's got to be Peyton Pritchard, or it's got to be Aaron Neesmith. One of those three. And the pick is enough for me. I know that's not enough for a lot of people, but I don't want to hear Romeo Langford, and I don't want to hear Grant Williams or Semi Ojeley or, or or that tier of young players. It's got to be one of Pritchard, uh, Neesmith, or Williams, and at least one first-round pick, and then that's enough for Tony. I know it's not enough for a lot of people, but that's sort of where my line is.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely want. To, I, I would right off the bat. I'd ask for Pritchard. He's got to be. He's because he, he, was, he really, was, man. He's good yeah. number one, and he fits he would improve the King's backup point guard position. Perfect. So, perfect. Yeah. so to me, yeah, you're, you know, you're not going to improve by losing Harrison regardless, but, mm-hmm. but at least you've covered one thing and then you, and, and I would want two first round picks probably, to be honest with yeah. you. I'd agree with you on the 2021 and I'd want another one yeah. in 2022. And, and if you could do that, I think you've got something to talk about for sure. I mean, you know, Naismith and Naismith, maybe you, that in in some way if but you know if you feel like that's worth the risk and and I kind of think it is uh and he hadn't shown much but he hadn't had a chance to show much
1: I think I sit right between you guys in this and that it either has to be two two solid prospects and one pick or one solid prospect and two picks I think you you've got to get at least some some extra future potential in there and if it's Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams and and a 2023 first round pick. I'm happy about it because you've got two guys that are solid that ha- that look like that. There's an NBA future on the horizon for them. Um, or if if they're willing to just give up Pritchard or a Bob Williams or a Smith, okay, then I want two shots in the dark later on down the road. Mm.
0: You know, I, I think it reminds me of the old Yogi Bear saying, "We we just agree differently." Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, is there a is there a, is there a, another team out there that you think could use a Harrison Barnes? I know that there's been some talks about uh, the Miami Heat maybe um, looking for a, a move that might involve a Harrison Barnes, even though they just traded uh, for Trevor Ariza, Trevor Ariza, who's been traded now 11 times, the most in NBA history. Is there any other teams that you think could could I mean not just use him, but could that could want him immediately and make a move for him?
0: Well, I, I certainly think a, a, a lot of teams probably could, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, of how desperate they are, where they see themselves. You know, uh, I look at, uh, you know, certainly the Miami heat, I think that that would improve their situation. And, and, you know, they much like, you know, Boston, I think in their case, it really might put them over the edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the way they're, I mean, I think they, they've got enough pieces and depth that, uh, you, you plug in a Harrison there somewhere, uh, they, they were a serious contender uh, in the East, I think.
1: I, I think, I, think uh, I, I saw somebody talking about um, if, if any trade came back for Harrison Barnes, Tyler Hero would need to be involved. That was kind of their their line about Tyler Hero would have to be involved in that trade. Not, not to get too deep into the weeds there, but do you see a prospect like a Tyler Hero as a, as a commiserable rate to to swap Barnes for? Is that something that you go, okay, that's, that's worth it. Or do you need more from the Miami heat, you know, whether it be prospects or established players or picks?
0: Well, I try to get more, but Tyler hero, Tyler hero rings my bell. Me too. (laughs) I can tell you that much. I mean, you know, he, he is a shooter of a basketball with, with handling skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he fit today's style uh, very well. So, uh, you know, if the Miami heat wanted to start there, I'd say, okay, let's start there. And maybe, throw a pick in there or, or, you know, I don't know. They, they've got some, some nice pieces, but I I'd rather get a whole lot of guys. I think if you could get a Tyler hero and a pick, I'd, uh, I'll be honest, I'd have to do yeah, that. Sure. I, 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 I think he's, a, I think, you know, and, and it doesn't make you better tomorrow. I mean, I want, oh, yeah. I don't believe it does for a second, but, but that sure, sure. Uh, warms your little heart going forward, I think, for years to come.
1: Tony, do you think there is a move out there um, for Buddy Healed? Buddy's had kind of an up and down season. Um, his his value has kind of swung into the negative at times and maybe his course corrected a little bit in, before the All-Star break. Is there a is there a, any hope for a deal for Buddy Healed?
2: Well, I did a quick little exercise this morning where I looked at the the contending teams who have an expiring contract big enough to make a move and some young players that are interesting enough to, to intrigue the Kings. Um, you've got Denver, who has Gary Harris, uh, $19 million contract over two years. So that one's not expiring, but it's a an overpaid player who the Nuggets could improve on, and they have young players like Bol Bol or RJ Hampton or Zeke Nagy to throw in there to sweeten the Kings. Philadelphia has Danny Green's $15 million expiring. They're a legitimate contender. They would love to have Buddy Heald and they have young players like Matisse Thibel or Tyrese Maxey to trade. You've got Atlanta and Tony Snell's $12 million expiring. Um, they can also add Chris Dunn or Rondo to, to match Buddy Heald's salary. And they've got uh, some young prospects. John Collins is probably is too good to trade for Buddy, but at least we know he's available. Um, the Bulls have Otto Porters expiring and they got Laurie Markinen who's going to be a restricted free agent and Wendell Carter. Some two young guys that would sweeten the buddy heel trade to me. Um, Miami, they have the 12.5 million Kelly olinick expiring. And while you couldn't get Tyler hero for buddy, they do have, you know, Pres- precious who I know the Kings liked prior to the draft. That'd be enough sweetener for me as a young player. And then finally last, you've got the Pelicans who uh, not expiring, but Eric Bledsoe, I don't know if he has a future there he's owed 16 million. Obviously that would be a downgrade from buddy healed, but if you could get someone like Lonzo as restricted free agent uh, or, or Kyra Lewis or something like that, those are deals where those teams are, are trying to be good. They could use an upgrade in buddy healed. In most cases, they don't add to the Kings cap sheet. Bledsoe would and, and Gary Harris would, but the others wouldn't. And they all have at least one young prospect that I think would intrigue Monty McNair enough to at least entertain, you know, moving buddy for one of those guys.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think here about teams that would, um, would see him as a positive asset at this point, only because um, we had James Ham on last week and he seemed to think that the reason why buddy Heald's shooting has gone so wonky over the season is partially because he's looking over his shoulder that he's so nervous about Tyrese Halliburton, uh, taking his starting spot, that that he's worried himself or got the yips or whatever. And and Jerry, maybe you can answer this a little bit better than than what me or Tony can. Do you think um, GMC, Buddy Heald, is a positive asset at this point, that he's a reclamation project on the sinking ship that is the Kings? Or is this something that they see Buddy, it's more indicative of Buddy that he is not as good as he has been the last couple of seasons, but that maybe he is who he is now?
0: Well, again, I, I think, I think most people see buddy as a player that probably isn't progressing uh, at the rate he was, you know, we, we saw uh, two or three straight years of buddy getting better and better. And obviously the contract reflected that. And basically, you know, and I think they say, well, maybe this is buddy, but having said that, uh, I think there's value out there. Now, is it what the Kings would want or need? That That's another issue. But I, I think everybody sees him as a special shooter. Uh, you know, we've talked about on this thing. I, I think a lot of Buddy's problem is just maybe it's the yips. I don't think that as much as just taking bad shots. <laughs> you know, just don't take so many bad shots. You'll, you'll make uh, good ones at a higher rate. And uh, I think we saw that last night uh you know he had easy shots uh he took them and made them uh so what is the value uh, yeah i think there's teams out there that especially uh teams that are pushing for something and teams that have guys that will draw double teams you know sure. big, bigs that can draw double teams consistently uh i i think those kind of teams would their eyes would open up a little bit for for a buddy healed and so uh, so i think there's there are deals uh and and i don't know and i think they've probably dropped i i don't think you can go get lottery picks and and proven young guys anymore not that you ever could i think you probably are would, would be looking at maybe at best a danny green expiring who's a good player still you know but probably probably dead horse walking uh sure. and, and, and a pick you know you might you might you might get a, a, for a team like philly a, a late first round pick would that be enough well i think under certain circumstances it, it would because it frees up it would free up because i still think the rashawn holmes things is something you gotta keep in mind <laughs> you know you know don't uh, don't 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 uh, just think uh, he's gonna uh, you know, I, I I like to read the fact that he wants to be here, and I'm sure he does. And, and I and, and and money is and and he might take a hometown discount. I believe he even, and I kind of believe he probably would. But let me tell you, that hometown discount don't get into millions. anybody <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Anybody that uh, believes that, I I got a used car. I'd, I'd like to sell you. Uh, <laughs> because uh, uh, you know this he's got a chance he's never made big money and this is his one chance to have a significant increase and, and and he's deserving and so the kings have got to be able to get into the ballpark
2: to jerry's point on Rashawn holmes because i i looked at the salary sheet for next year um if they don't do anything and they go into the offseason as is they can offer Rashawn holmes a little bit over the MLE. I think it's about uh, somewhere between 11 and 12 million without making any other moves. And that might not be enough. And to, to Jerry's point, like he, and Jerry said this from, from the beginning. And I think it's the best way you can put it Rashawn Holmes is part of the solution. He is not part of the problem, especially at center. The center market and free agency is, is terrible. Um, the Kings need to keep him and it's uncomfortable because they don't control it. He's an undistricted free agent. So they could do everything right and still lose him. But they do not have enough cap room to offer him enough to feel comfortable about it. So I do think they, they need to make a move for that regard. And I, I, I don't think that point can go understated because um, <laughs> like Jerry said, he, he might be their second best player or the second most impact, impactful player. And especially recently, if you look at how he's played since the all-star break, he's been giving them 20 and 10, you know, pretty consistently for a few games. Now he's, he's playing great basketball and the Kings must retain him. and, in order to do that, they have to do something at the deadline or, or I guess they could make a move in the offseason too, to free up some money, but um, doing it now would certainly be more comfortable. And I think that is uh, maybe the biggest motivator to make a trade is that you have to keep Rashawn Holmes. I think,
1: uh, I think that the, the quickest way to wear out your welcome as a new general manager in Sacramento would be to in consecutive years, find a way to let bogey walk for nothing. And then the very next year have Rashawn Holmes walk for nothing, because at this point, if, if the Kings aren't making a deal and Rashawn wants 15 and the Kings can only offer 12, he's going for 15 there. Like Jerry said, there is no $3 million a year discount for playing in Sacramento. And, and Monty McNair would very quickly um, lose whatever goodwill that he has in his, in his, you know, first, first year in Sacramento, if in two consecutive years, two impactful vets went away for absolutely zero.
0: Yeah, you know, and the other part on the buddy thing, uh, you know, not because I am still a fan of buddies. I've, You know, I've mellowed a good bit in that regard. But but I mean, uh, if you were to move him for, a, say, like a Danny Green, and, and I think you take a step back there, but, and, but you get a pick or something along with it. Well, uh, you're going to draft somebody and most likely it's probably going to be a wing or a guard. Uh, you know, just by nature of the not saying that that would be the way to play out. But so at some point, you, you know, if you're going to draft somebody in the lottery, uh, you you probably need to have a place for him to play. Uh, so, uh, you know, and certainly a, a, a big wing of some type would be ideal anyway. And uh, so if you can, you know, and, and if you draft well, you, you'd hope to get some help there. So anyway, it's, it's probably less of a risk. In in, in a, and there is some risk in trading, buddy. I, I'm not. I would not say there's not, but I think there's less risk there than in the Harrison Barnes or or a Rashawn Holmes situation.
1: Jerry, is there any worry? And I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to to throw anybody under the bus as a former. You know, as a former employee of the Sacramento Kings, is there any worry about Vivek Ranadive? meddling i guess is the easiest way to put it putting his fingers in the pot a little bit too much there i i uh wrote a piece the other day just being absolutely frustrated with vivek over these seven years in in which it just seems like every single year somebody's got to come out and say "Mm, vivek's he's not he's not he's not uh he's not doing it this year guys he he's backed up he's backed up and for me if you've done it every year for seven years you're probably doing a little bit like if you broke mom's vase and the first thing you do is run up and tell mom, I didn't break the vase. I, I don't know who did, but I didn't break it. I feel like there's some suspicion there. Jerry, do you feel like uh, Vivek is, is, is there any worry from you? I guess that Vivek is still pushing what he wants um, strong enough to impact what Monty McNair does.
0: You know, I, I, I don't know if uh, worry is as much a concern because you, it's what you don't know. And, and, you know, those of us on the outside can't know. But the thing, I, I've always said the thing that concerned me probably the most and it is the fact that, in all honesty, just the hiring of Monty McNair or Vladi Divac or Pete DeLisandro, in effect, all the hirings were of guys who had never run franchises. And, and and that always concerned me because I thought, boy, what a great opportunity to hire somebody. And, and no disrespect to Monty, I, don't, I mean that, I but I thought, you know, if in fact you want somebody to really run your franchise, uh, why not get somebody that has run a franchise? Sure. <laughs> you know, so there's always uh, that's just like saying we want to we want an experienced head coach. Well, the the way to get that would be to hire an experienced head coach. Uh, sure. Doesn't mean you're getting the best one, but uh, anytime you hire somebody that hasn't done it, you don't know because they haven't done it. Sure. And and so that that's. You know, I always say that 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 always struck me as as a little bit unusual. You know, in other words, I'm going to hire this guy, and he's he's great, he's great, and, and you know, and I think the world of Lottie, but he clearly was not experienced and hadn't even been around the NBA for a number of years, uh, and he did some really good things too, by the way. But uh, anyway, and, and certainly with Monte, we don't know he may be the second coming of the Red Auerbach, but uh, but we'll soon know. I mean, that's the other part of it. Uh, you know, the, the moves made or not made will give you the answers if you really kind of pay attention.
1: How much, uh, how much patience would you preach with this franchise right now in terms of, say, Monty McNair, the 25th comes and passes, and Monty McNair doesn't see a deal for Harrison Barnes out there that he likes, doesn't see a deal for Buddy Heald out there that he likes, doesn't do much of anything of an impact. Is that the time to start getting fidgety or does he does he at least get until next off season all the way through till you know the next season starts before we can start wondering what in the world is going on
0: well i i would not uh you know be, be inclined to turn on him in any way
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh you know the thing i would like to hear if if in fact there aren't is not a deal i'd like for him to you know just kind of Tell tell the people, yeah. you know, us unwashed, that uh, you know we we were looking to make improvements. We didn't see a deal that we felt comfortable making, and that's very fair. If, if you're not comfortable with the deal, don't do it. Uh, no, right. don't do it because the fans want you to do it. Don't do it because the media wants you to do it. And certainly, as brilliant as we all are, don't do it because we want <laughs> you to. Uh, but but I mean, I think we ought to be told that, that there just wasn't a deal we felt comfortable with. But uh, come October. Uh, I'll just say, speak for myself. I want to see a different roster. You know, I want to see some changes. Now, I, you know, it, okay, I know you can't get everything you want, but but there there needs to be significant better bench, and hopefully, uh, you know, maybe a better, at least one better starter in there. I mean, at least you can just as from the from the players, uh, just the the players that are available. So I, I would say, yeah, I'll. I, if we're, you know, it's going to say, well, we're going to start, you know, pretty much the same except for the draft choice. Uh, I'm probably not going to be too enthused, to be honest with you.
1: Sure. Uh, and I don't I don't necessarily blame Monty McNair in that. I think he kind of inherited the team that Vladi had built, and he's going to take some time to tear it down. But I think in the macro level, I'm sure they hired Monty McNair and let him know it's been 14 years. It's going on 15 years since we've made the playoffs. We probably need some changes, and we need them quicker than than you know be quick but not hurry like just just turn this thing around and let's get there as quick as we can and if he can go one full off season into uh, a full season and then into another off season and things aren't haven't haven't if there's no structural changes to the kings i'm going to start wondering how how slow are you taking this thing and where exactly are we headed
0: yeah well i think that's always been my point i i think uh you know you know you and i and and, and Tony, we, we can be patient when we can see the bigger picture that what maybe needs to be done. But I, I think the overall fan base is, is, is not a t- a totally in agreement with uh, uh, the Kings Herald. I can just tell you from my experiences out there in the real world, and uh, they're not inclined to keep paying 20 and $30,000 for season tickets uh, to see a team. that's uh, not a playoff team or, or rebuilding, you know, on the, on the next re- five-year rebuilding plan, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, of course, I've always said in the NBA, if you've got a five-year rebuilding plan, you have no plan except to keep your job. You know, that's pretty pretty much that. But uh, so, you know, I, I, I do think that... Uh, and, and, and this thing isn't that far away. So I, I don't think... I mean, I, I get all the the, the tanking for... A bit. I don't get tanking, but you want sure. the best pick pick you can get. I definitely... I totally agree with that, but it is a lottery. So you can tank till you stank and you may, as the Kings did one year with the worst record in the league and got the fourth pick. We, we, we know that stuff goes both ways. That's why they call it a lottery. So, (laughs) you know, I, I guess my only real thing is I want them to be
1: in the lottery. I just want you to know that you, uh, you just created a shirt for us, because if I don't get a tank till you stank shirt, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, no. not sure I'm proud of that. Uh. But uh.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Even though he was arguing against that, I'm going to turn this into Jerry was for it the whole time. Yeah. Well, I'm
0: for, like I say, I'm for the lottery yes. at this stage, because sure. I, I know that uh, you need a good, you need a good pick. You need, you know, another yes. Halliburton type but whether you get it at six at, at 12 at two yeah. wherever you can get another quality player and 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 the the draft is the best way currently uh I mean obviously trades free agency are other ways and 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 you're not ever going to build a championship team just waiting on the draft uh sure. either uh you know that that's almost never been done there's ex- there are exceptions but you know out of Like fifty different championship teams, you might find one or two that come close to doing it that
1: way. Yeah, I think I think in in more modern terms, like the only one I could think of is maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder when they have Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and James Harden drafted basically back to back to back, back
0: back to back to back.
2: Sam Presti is great.
0: Sam Presti is absolutely great. He is great, and and here they are now. I mean, they got one player, and they got some guys start who are going to be good reserves by the way when they get good but they, yeah. but they're yeah. they're going to be good again pretty quick of course the, the one crit hey the one criticism i got is, is sam though and I, i'll say this i i think if they'd have kept uh jeremy grant and and just kept the that team intact they, they'd be contending for a championship in the west now that was I mean, that was a really good team. And, and, you know, of course, Chris Paul, everywhere he goes, they get better. You know, a la look at the Suns, you know. But, but if you just kept that bunch together and, uh, you know, oh, well, anyway, they did it.
1: Well, obviously me being somebody who's a little bit more pro-preactive rebuilding than what some others are, it, it, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Sacramento Kings have the exact same record. The Oklahoma City Thunder have a have a point guard who I think is better than De'Aaron Fox right now in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I would much prefer to watch a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder who is stacked with young guys and guys who will eventually either be high-impact bench players or guys that are working themselves into the starter role than a Kings team that's so up and down, that is so, you know, are we going to, you know, there's a lot of drama with the Kings and there's always a lot of drama with the Kings. The Thunder, they don't have a lot of drama. They might lose some games and win some games, but they work their ass off every single night. They've got a budding young star and they're just biding their time. I bet every single person in Oklahoma city understands that it's just a matter of time before they either swap some of these guys for a bigger player or hit on the draft because of all their draft picks that they've got. And they'll be good for 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, just compared to the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves who have all kinds of former number one picks, number two picks and, and uh, which team do you think is going to be better in two or three years? I mean, yeah. I mean, really, I I'll take thunder. I'll take the thunder. Oh, yeah.
2: You know, I mean,
0: I just, I mean, it's, uh, it's what it is, you know, so
1: it's Sam. Sam Presti is one of those guys that if I, if I owned a basketball team, I would back up the Brinks truck for him. I would totally agree. What's a ridiculous number. What's a ridiculous number. There it is. It's yours. Yeah.
0: And Sam, and you know, I'd say, Hey, Sam, you've been there a long time. You've proven yourself now. You know, uh, we know you love it. Uh, we know you're would give you're giving them a home count, home uh,
1: yeah.
0: discount, but uh, we'll give you a lot more.
1: Yeah. To, to, yeah, yeah, no, I
0: I couldn't agree more. I, I think uh, I, I'm just amazed that more teams don't uh, don't do that. To be honest, yeah. you know, at that position, go, go pay somebody you know is really good at it. Yeah. And it's proven it.
1: Is there a Jerry? Is there from your uh, from your recollection? Um, Was there a general manager that you just hated trading with or that you hated negotiating with over time? As we get closer to the deadline, I get curious about previous, um, you know, transactions or transactions that didn't take place. And who better to ask than you? Was there somebody who was just a son of a bitch to deal with?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's several. (laughs) And some were... uh you know off the courtroom sure okay guys but but uh, to your point and there were some of the just sons (laughs) of bitches everywhere but that's a but that's a that's that's another story for another day but uh uh, three guys offhand come to mind i'm I'm just trying to think uh uh, jerry kraus was extremely difficult uh to deal with because you know i always remember getting a big argument he's trying to we had the seventh pick or something one year and he wanted to trade me. I I can't remember the guy's name, but he had drafted him late first a year or so sooner
2: and he wasn't very
0: good. He, you know, they make mistakes too, just like everybody else. But he was saying, well, yeah, this guy, he he's got two rings or something because he played on, I said, well, so is your trainer. I'm not going to trade for him either. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, no, Jerry, it's just cause he's, He's on your team, but he is not very good. We have not very good guys now. We don't need more of those. <laughs> we want better ones. And so, yeah, he was difficult. Uh, you know, always just you know, that's who he was and I think it kind of shows up. But he did a great job too, by the way. He's just very difficult. Uh, Elgin Baylor, when he was a Clippers general manager, was just, just difficult on so many levels. I never really felt he was in tune with you know, the fact that he could do anything without, I think Sterling had total control of everything. You know, he just, you could feel like you had some sort of an agreement or gotten close to one and then it'd be, you know, a no-go six hours later for some reason. And uh, so he was, to Bob Whitsett who was a good friend uh, when he was running to Seattle and then later Portland, but Seattle in particular, I thought he was difficult because he he, he was like Danny Ainge, always, he always thought he had to win the trade, you know. Always had to win, win the trades, and uh, you know. So, so I, I put, I'd, yeah, I put, put them there, and uh, so yeah, as very difficult guys, and then, you know, then there's others that are, you know, somewhat. Uh, I won't say easy, but but uh, at least comfortable. I, I like dealing with Brian Colangelo. I thought, who by the way, I thought actually did a good job in Philly after the process you know, by getting some vet, actual veterans and, and guys who could play to, to join the uh, draft parade. Uh, but uh, so, you know, Jerry Jerry West was, was good to deal with. Uh, you know, I mean, he was tough, but, uh, you know, he, he was good to deal with. Uh, so there's, yeah, I, I'd say just offhand, that's some of them.
1: Was there a guy that you felt like, and I'm sure if there was, they didn't last very long in the league? But was there a guy that you felt like you could swindle? That like when you called, you went, "Oh, you dummy, I got you."
0: You know, I I can't say that. I I mean, I honestly kind of felt that way at the WNBA. Uh, you know <laughs> that, that you know because <laughs> sure. I was a, kind of an experienced person in amongst unex, inexperienced people that. You know, nobody ever made any kind of trade. And so, but, but I think in the NBA, I think it's, it's like coaches. I, I think uh, pretty much most people are, are, are there for a reason. They're, they're talented. They may have some quirks and they all want to. Uh, so I don't think you're going to, you know, the old, used to hear this about Don Nelson all the time. Well, you don't want to deal with Don Nelson because he, he always wins. Well, I said, well, uh, I'm not scared of Don Nelson. If it's a deal I think is good for us, we can do it. If it's not, we won't. And you know, I mean, we traded Billy once for Mitch Richmond. Well, it he it was a it was a good move for us, a bad move for them. Now, overall, Nelly, I think is terrific. Uh, you know, but he makes mistakes too. And, and so, I guess that would be my answer. I I don't I never felt there were any really incompetent ones. Uh, uh, you know, there's some better than others. I mean, it, you knew if you're dealing with, you know, Jerry West or, or, uh, you know, people like that. Uh, you know, and Bob Witsett I think, uh, you know, was outstanding in, in his time there. Uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, I, I think, Carol Dawson at uh, Houston was another one uh, during his time. Boy, it was a basketball man, Rod Thorne. I, I guess that, you know, you, you those guys, uh, you know, like I say, they you couldn't fool them and they couldn't fool you uh, for the most part. So, you know, so. Like I would I'd, I'd say, no, I didn't think, well, I'll, I'll outsmart him and get his best player for three of our dregs, you know, that sort of
1: thing. I'm curious to what you, uh, you, you talked about Danny A. Joyce having to win. And I'm curious as to how you felt the split was when you were working in the NBA. Uh, do you, do you, uh, have you heard about the Monty McNair rule? No. Huh? So Daryl Morey spoke about this, um, but basically, that Monty McNair, when coming to the Rockets, basically said, you know, every every like we tend to overvalue our own players, and that like sometimes that can be difficult in, in making trades because you think this guy is you know like a Jerry Krause where oh that guy's got two rings and you see him as a as a scrub. Yeah. And Monty McNair basically instituted a like a, a or, or Daryl Morey because of Monty McNair instituted a rule that they should always be looking first at the trades from the perspective of their counterparts before making the call. And, and that, you know, that, that sounds a lot of the time, like you're never going to, you're never going to outright win a trade or get swind you know, or swindle somebody in a trade, but that those trades are usually fair and balanced. And those swaps that happen are, you know, everyone can just agree. Oh, that's a good swap between everybody. But then you also have general managers like a Danny Ainge, who Danny has almost traded for every star in the league. You know, in his mind, he, he almost got James Harden and he almost had Anthony Davis. And Boston has to sit there every year and go, yeah, we almost got these guys, but where the hell are they? Mm-hmm. And, and that's because uh, I think sometimes maybe he's locked into, I got to win. And there just isn't quite enough there to win. So he backs out. So, Jerry, was there ever – in your mind, what was the split when dealing with general managers? Was it most people that were pretty fair and go, okay, I, you know, I don't need to win this one, but we, we should you – know, or were there a lot of guys that were gunning for – no, I, Jerry, I'm sorry, but like, I need more than this if, if you want this deal done.
0: Well, you, you run into all kinds. I, I would say this. I, I think uh, your, your original premise is right. I think most GMs view their players as better than they are. And, you know, and, and and of course, fans are, takes it to another level. Uh, sure. But, uh, yeah, so, mm-hmm. but I always, I, I, I always approached it just like what, uh, you know, I always approached it like, why would this team do this deal? You know, why why would they be interested in the deal I, that I'm thinking about proposing? And, uh, you know, I mean, start there. And I think <laughs> that, that eliminates about 70% of the deals right off the top. You know, uh, and so uh, yeah, I th- and I think uh, honestly, I think most most uh, GMs probably focus somewhat that way, you know, uh, because uh, you know it'll be a short conversation otherwise, and so so that makes that makes sense, and and yeah, I, I think that I, I think the only time you get these win-win trades is when somebody is desperate, and don't get me wrong, that's what you're looking for if you want to, uh, you know, i.e. the Chris Weber trade. Uh, because they they had just Washington had tired of him, you know. And, and conversely, I think uh, you know Golden State traded Weber for the same reason. They it, it, for Tom, Good, you know, they had tired of him for for other for reasons that we don't might not know. Uh, but but so you're you know, they, and they're over the years there there are there are players like that that you get for those kind of reasons you hear things, well, such and such is a real pain in the ass. The coach and them don't get along and they need to move this guy or that guy, you know, maybe it's a John Wall or, or DeMarcus Cousins, uh, uh, you know, I mean, these things are out there and and many times are absolutely true. So uh, that's how you might get the so-called win deal, because you're willing to take a chance on a talent uh, that you know that, is going to be moved and they, they need to move them. And and of course, sometimes it'll work for you. And sometimes it won't, <laughs> you, you'll, you, you'll get the guy and you'll find out it's like, Oh, now I know why they want to get rid of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was, there, was there ever a trade Jerry, where you, uh, you felt like, mm, I'm going to call this guy and I'm probably, I probably don't have enough, but I, I want this player. And, and we're just going to kind of throw it out there and see what sticks. And then, and then that trade ended up occurring, you know, something that you were kind of like, I don't think I've got enough to get it done. And the other general manager was more receptive than what you thought to, a, to the particular deal. Oh,
0: that's a great, that's a great one. You know, I, I can't remember, you know, but that honestly offhand, I mean, it was, you know, to where you just felt like, well, oh, there's no way they'd take this deal. Uh, sure. Almost invariably, I'd say my experience is, it was almost the other way where you, you know, even though you thought there's a chance you could get a deal done, you might have to sweeten it some sure. way uh, a little bit. Because uh, uh, as much as I just said that, you know, you try to look at it from the other team's viewpoint, uh, you still inherently probably like your guys better than you should uh, just sure. human nature. And uh, so, so I, I can't, I, offhand, I can't say that. I mean, I, I certainly was tried to be cognizant of the, the situation of guys that you know might might be available because of other issues you know i thought that mm-hmm. was a in our case it was the best chance of of getting somebody better you know sure <laughs> that way was there
1: a, was there ever a time then going the opposite way that you saw a deal get done for for a player that you might have wanted or thought would be good for the kings and then just thought oh shit i could have given more than that and i didn't even I didn't even think about it, or or you didn't know that person was on the particular block.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure there was. You know, offhand, I can't remember. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, so that would be. uh, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm telling you to pull deep, Jerry. I'm asking
1: you to go way into the back recesses of your mind here. But but, you know, I
0: I mean, in in fairness, I I think it's a case where, yeah, I, I have no doubt that there's looking back and and that and you know and at the time you might think that regardless what deal it was but that doesn't mean you could have done it either
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know sure. i mean that's the other thing is because there may be other sure. things involved but uh, for the most part you know i, I think that was one thing I, I really did i i don't know if it's a strength or not but I, but i was i had pretty good relationships with everybody and and so i talked to them all the time you know i mm-hmm. i just tried to make a point to talk to every gm in the league every week
2: you know, just oh, wow.
0: sometimes, sometimes it's just shooting the shit, you know, but, sure. but you'd find out stuff about other teams. It wasn't always, sure. you know, I might, uh, you know, you might want to call uh, Bob Whitsitt, uh you know, just to, with a conversation and he might tell you something about something else. And, and I, I thought that was a very helpful way. You know, it's just like uh, when you're drafting or something, you want to talk to other coaches about, a player that you're, that's going to be in the draft more so than the the coach himself who's coaching. You You get a little different, a little different thoughts and
2: opinions. Jerry, do you find that like you, you would know things were happening behind the scenes before they were reported. And I say that because I remember uh, yesterday, I think it was uh, either Mark Steiner or or Woj um, tweeted that the Clippers were interested in Lonzo ball. And to Will's point about finding out that trades are happening, you're like, wait, I could have beat that offer. I'm thinking, cause I think everyone who loves basketball as much as we all do kind of puts themselves in the GM chair in their head and wonders what they would do if they were in that position. And I'm thinking immediately like, Oh, the Clippers can't offer anything that the Kings couldn't man. What do the Clippers have? Like the Kings could go get lawns of if, if the Clippers could do it. Um, so how often do you, or would you have seen a report and been like, oh, I got to make this call? Or would you already know some of that stuff? Because you said you talk to GMs every week. To me, not knowing, that seems way more frequent than I would have thought. So do you already know a lot of these things are sort of going on before you read the report that they might be going on? Well, you know,
0: here again, you have to go back into the 90s now. True. Uh, And and, and here's the truth of it. Yeah, I I did. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
0: But but compared to today, I wouldn't. I'm pretty sure. I mean, really, I, I think with the Woj and, and all the people, and certainly the websites and all the activity, I, I don't believe that's true today. I think the general manager has a, a lot tougher stand on top in front
2: mm-hmm.
0: of issues. I, I think they they find out pretty much like we do in many occasions. Uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't that way, you know. And so, so you know, I, I really, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be able to speak to it. I, I'm sure it's a lot. Lot, lot more difficult for general managers today to keep things private or, or to, to, to know things that the media doesn't know, because there, there's a, there's a thousand Sam Amex out there and you can't, and, and you can't hide from them all. i tell you, <laughs> and, uh, it's great and they're great. They're great at what they do and, you know, and the different, uh, you know, and and more and more people in front offices and franchises and and leakage is uh, a, almost a, an absolute. Now, I mean, the more people you have, the, the better chance there's leaks. And, and when you have 10 people in the front office, as opposed to five, don't be surprised if there's somebody that wants to ingratiate themselves with the media in that group.
1: It, it's funny that you mentioned that, Jerry, because I feel like Every single year there is some random Twitter account or some kid trying to be a reporter who works at the gym that you know some general manager's kid goes to that will jump on Twitter or jump into a, uh, into some place and say I know the trade that's going down I heard it here first here's where the trade is and, and inevitably you know you know most of the masses will jump on them and go you don't know Jack you, you know you work at target buddy and then invariably they're right. There's always one. There's fifty thousand that are wrong. There's always that one kid that slides in there that that knows something. And uh, for, for me, it's one of those things that in the advent of social media, it would be impossible to keep your stuff quiet because inevitably your kid is talking on a cell phone to their friends, saying, "Oh, Dad's going to make a deal for Harrison Barnes tomorrow," and some kid at Target overhears it, and that kid leaks it to the whole world. Oh, oh yeah. And,
0: and, yeah, I, I'm sure that, that, you know, that does happen. And like I said, the more people involved, the better chance there is. And that's one of the things i am really been impressed with Monty and his staff, because they really uh, have kept things quiet, uh, maybe more than they need to. But but I, I respect that. It's very difficult. And, uh, you know, most of the, I think the stuff that's out there, you know, is agent generated. Uh, some of it's just made up. And, you know and, and and you have that too and i think that's the thing i don't like is there's an awful lot of people out there trying to act like experts and just throwing shit against the wall and then people sure. people you know it's kind of like a overall media now it's it's like somehow uh, somebody on twitter or anonymous source becomes fact well no it's just it isn't <laughs> i mean you can say it is but it isn't
2: sure. yeah so well sometimes um I'm reminded by Will mentioning uh, kids. Uh, Sometimes you have um, the owner's kids uh, posting pictures on Instagram of the general manager and and the owner having uh, dinner with Luka Doncic after everyone reported that the Kings were not meeting with him and they weren't going to Europe and see him. So things leak out sometimes in the shadows and sometimes they uh, pop up right in front of your face uh, publicly and it's a little whoopsie. So uh, yeah, I imagine it's very hard to keep things under wraps in, in 2021. Well, and like I said earlier,
0: too, I, I really think the think it's tough. And uh, of course, agents are going to anything they can do to make things better for their client or like they're in high demand or this or that, or they want out that's out there. But then I, I think the, the missing part is there's too often somebody in an organization that is looking to make themselves a little more important, uh, popular with the media. You know, I, I felt uh, the Kings had that a, a year or so ago. I thought the, the Brandon Williams thing was a, was really a, just a, a terrible mistake on a, every level. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, not just the front office, but uh, the, the situation with Coach Yeager, it just, there was no, it was no need for it, unnecessary and very destructive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm curious, Jerry, maybe this is less than less in the 90s than it is now, but how much uh, smoke screening did you do in the uh, in the media? How much if you heard, you know, like oh, like I, I consider this where the Celtics are obviously interested in Harrison Barnes and and Monty McNair obviously knows that. And so Danny Ainge puts out a report that like, oh, we're really interested in Jeremy Grant as a way of trying to maybe lower the price in the media or trying to get the other general manager to to back down a little bit from any of the deals, you know, or any, you know, uh, how rich this deal or offer is. How much did you do of that, Jerry? And how much do you think of that actually goes on?
0: I think there's a good bit going on. I honestly didn't do any of it because I, I think uh, at some point uh, the general manager, and, and I think pretty much they do, is they know what's a deal for them, you know? Mm. And uh, somebody sending out some information that can't be verified or whatever probably isn't going to change it you know it's 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 like i said many times about contracts i mean don't sign a contract you don't think is a good deal for the team short and long term you know don't don't uh, just because the media says this is a, a good deal don't either you have to do this in order to make that deal if it's, you don't think it's a good deal why would you do it so so i, I don't uh, i don't think too much of that now i i do think there always was a lot of uh, uh, kind of bad information sent out by certain people. I think Jerry West might've been, I can't prove it, a legend, uh, but he sent out a lot of different things on players that he wanted, you know, that, to get it out there that, you know, that they had some kind of hidden injuries or, or something, you know? Uh, and I, I mean, I think that thing, you know, was, was not unusual. Uh, you know, the, that would be put out in the draft, especially the, the top guys. Oh, this guy's blah blah blah. You know, he's a, a wife beater or something. You know, I mean, they would put out stuff that, sure. uh, you know, with no, no, and then so, but it's, but the bottom line is it, it's everybody has to do their own investigative work, and so, uh. So if how much you want to believe of it in uh, some of it may have been true, but th- that was up to you to find that out. So uh, did I do a lot of that? No, I, I can't say that I didn't do a little of it. I might have. Uh, I can't say, you know, I, I can't. I, I, I wouldn't out and out lie. But sometimes I avoided telling the truth. How's that? You know, just, just uh, so, you know, you just wouldn't uh, wouldn't, you know, tell exactly what you knew.
2: Sure. Will, uh, that question reminded me of a, of a local example of this, and I'm curious what Jerry thinks. Um, so as of about you know two weeks ago, we get reports that the Kings are sellers at the deadline. And as recently, you hear stuff that they want to remain competitive, and they want to compete, and, and they don't want to tank and all that. Do you think, in this specific case, is that posturing that is happening where the Kings are saying, hey, we want to compete? And, and we're not tanking and what et cetera um, in order to bump up value of their guys that might be on the block? Or do you think that is a legitimate shift in their philosophy, whereas maybe as of two weeks ago or three weeks ago or during that losing streak, they were sellers, but just in that short period of time, they have changed course and now they're not so sure, or, or is that posturing? Can, do you have a insight on that? Well, I don't have an
0: insight, but I'm pretty sure I, I think. What I know, or 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 my opinion, is that uh, you know they were never. They never said they were sellers. You never heard that from Monty McNair. Uh, True, they never said. And and, and, yeah, and and they. And why would they say that? That certainly benefits them in any way. Not to say they wouldn't make trades. Don't get me wrong. Or it's to say you know we're you know we're we're happy with where we are we're heading down we're trying to win ball games you didn't hear him say that either but the the truth is that's what they should say even if they want to trade everybody
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know if i want to trade every damn body on the team i'd say boy i've I like where we are. I like these guys. Yeah. I know we've lost 17 in a row and and you know, but these guys are going to find their way. We got a lot of talent here. Well, I mean, you know, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, you, you, you don't want to ever say we're sellers. I mean, come out and say that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They never said they were sellers. I guess the, the term was gap year meaning like, Hey, we're, we're kind of taking this year off uh, in order to get better in the future. So you're right. they never said specifically they were sellers, but it seems like there was either a philosophical shift in how they're building, or like you said, they're just saying what they should say.
0: Well, I think they're just saying what they should say. And, and I mean, yeah. and I, I mean, whether, you know, cause here again, I mean, you know, where money is, is how he's saying it is Hey, we're, we're, we're tank. We're going to tank. Full tank. Well, I don't think that was ever the case, but, you know, I think it's a case of, of uh, if there's a deal there, I I think if there's a deal there that they think will help them, whether they say they're a seller or not, or a buyer, or, you know, you got the sellers and buyers to be, that's a media made up deal. They're just, yeah. They're uh, They're just (laughs) looking at, well, this team's crappy. They got to be a seller. This team's a buyer because they're good. Well, yeah, makes sense. But uh, but that doesn't uh, that that wouldn't be the approach of those teams in my mind. I mean, other certainly the 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 better teams should be thinking. Well, we might need another piece. And but you even hear those teams say, "No, we're we're happy with what we got." You know, you hear Doc Rivers or or, or even Danny a week or two ago, or or, or uh, the Milwaukee. We're we're happy with their roster. That doesn't that doesn't mean they wouldn't train it change it as we saw with pj tucker which is a probably a minor you know a minor piece but but certainly can help them
1: let's uh let's then go through here before we before we start wrapping up let's let's make a prediction here i want to hear each of you say who you think gets traded and who you don't i won't we won't etch it in stone but we'll i'll let you hem and haw just a little bit but who do you think gets traded where you think maybe they get traded and um then who stays behind? How, how active do you think the Kings are going to be at the deadline?
0: I don't think very active uh, you know because I think they the pieces that uh, that are that the Kings have that teams want, I'm not sure they can get get value. And so so they sure. that those probably lead. I, I think you know Whiteside, uh, you know Corey Joseph, both you know those kind of guys could be more likely to be moved than anybody else just due to, Uh, you know, contracts and, and, and how they can fit specific teams, you know, uh,
1: in limited roles. So, so Jerry, you think Barnes and Buddy both stay?
0: I do. I do. I mean, and, and I think for different reasons, uh, you know, but, but I, I I think, you know, I think probably they'll be here.
2: Tony,
1: what's your prediction here?
2: I think uh, the most likely thing to be traded and this is not news to anybody because they've been saying it for months is Nemanja Bielica. Uh, I don't know, Miami uh, or Philadelphia, even he could go anywhere and probably help a playoff team as a stretch big off the bench, but I will in, in the spirit of chaos and, and as an outside observer who who likes to see things happen and it makes the world exciting for me, I do think the Harrison Barnes to Boston thing is going to happen. I just think there is so much smoke and maybe it is only ever smoke. But we've talked about the pressure Boston's under. Um, I won't go over it again. But and I, but I think they have enough to get it done. And I think to the Monty McNair rule, there are both sides benefit if the right deal is struck. Um, and I, I think Buddy stays because I, I don't think uh, his value is what it would need to be. And I don't think I think he's harmless on this roster right now. Um, eventually, maybe you start Halliburton instead of him, and he becomes the bench player he was a few years ago, but I have no problem retaining buddy because I just wouldn't dump him. And I think that's what you're looking at. Um, but I do think the Harrison Barnes to Celtics thing happens. And and part of that is, is wishful thinking for my chaotic uh, basketball observing that I, <laughs> that I like to witness.
0: Yeah, that's right. Hey, I just, yeah, I, I really apologize for missing on uh, Nemanja, I, you know, and, and having said that I I've had two or three named the teams call me just of people i know you know and and always it's about an so i know he's i know he's uh you know and i agree with you thousand percent on him he's a guy could fit you know a limited role on a bunch of of teams Mm -hmm. and and, uh, could help him
1: jerry you brought that up and i was going to ask it and i totally forgot but when you were making trades in the nba how how who did you call how how far down did you call high school coaches to make sure a player that was younger, like did you call their college coaches? Did you check up on these players before you? um I mean, obviously you did, but how much did you check up on these players before you made these trades?
0: That's a great question. Uh, it, it would depend on the players themselves. I mean, sometimes I, I, I knew a good bit about them beforehand, you know, maybe following through the years, Via draft and and studied him or guys that were on other teams that we had spent time with, you know, and did backgrounds on, so you wouldn't have to do quite as much. But Mm -hmm. if it's but someone else, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to go go back to high school to be honest with you. Not in every case, or Mm -hmm. or I tell you what I like to do, Kate, when I could is talk to high school counselors uh, about 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 people. Uh, you know, you get a little different slant on it, you know, than the old coach who has got got the kid's jersey in the in there, or or the college coach. You know, if you, if, you know, I like to even and I like to talk to assistant coaches from college a lot, uh, especially ones that had worked with him in as a in college, but now we're somewhere else. Sure. And now you got you got, I think, better information and sometimes it was all you know it's it all good at some many cases but sometimes you'd find out oh okay this isn't this is, is a little different slant here you know the about the type of person he was and because and you're not really uh, uh expecting to find out a lot about how well he plays basketball you're supposed to know that mm-hmm. but you're you're looking for what kind of person he is is he kind of guy you want to be around and and a coachable and and a hard worker and things of that nature, because uh, well that that is such a key. Is he a self-motivated guy who wants to get better? Because as we know, uh, you know, you watch the draft every year, and these so many sure things aren't sure things. Sure. Uh, you know, and then some guys who aren't sure things turn out to be sure things. You know, <laughs> there are the Jokic's and the and the Jimmy Butlers and those guys, and and so that's what you really just have to search for.
1: So just for reference just to get back to our previous point here. I think I think again uh, I, I lean between the two of you. I think Tony that the Harrison Barnes to to the Boston Celtics heats up in the next few days and it'll be one of those deals that we'll hear reported after the fact oh they were this close to completing it. And they just, the Kings couldn't move on. And in the last hour before the deadline, oh, well, the Celtics are moving on from the deal and, and, and they've decided to. I think Danny Ainge is going to want to put on a show, make it look like, oh man, I worked really hard for that one. And the Kings, they just, they want it this much too yeah. much. And I think the Kings keep Buddy Heald. I think they want to rebuild his value a little bit. Play, them, play him and uh, Tyrese Halliburton together in that starting lineup that we've seen the last few games. Get him to at least where by the end of this season, if he stays healthy, he looks a bit more of a positive asset. Okay, since the all-star break, he shot 42% from three. And then it at least gives him the cover that when you're discussing in the offseason, well, hey, you know, we turned things around. It was our lineup that was the problem, not Buddy Hield as the player. Give us some positive value for that. But I think in the end, Barnes stays just, just by the the hair on his chin.
0: Of course now I want to ask Tony, who who do who do the Kings get for Harrison? You got that deal made. I wanna know who's yeah. coming.
2: I mean, give me give me a first and give me one of those top three young guys. I I would love I think I rank and maybe you guys feel differently. I think I rank Pritchard above all of their young players at this point. And I I liked Neesmith wow. and I I like Bob Williams, but I think what Jerry was saying earlier, if you like, if you could pick any kind of backup point guard for this team, and you can get Peyton Pritchard for four years on a super low rookie contract for what he's doing already, and he's he, I mean, did you guys see that strip he had of Harrison Barnes in isolation in, uh, last night, where he took him took it in the chest and swiped? I just I I think Peyton Pritchard has been awesome, so he'd be my first wish list guy, and then you give me one pick. And that's good enough for me. Pritchard in a first round. Might not be good enough for everyone else. I understand that. But you give me Pritchard and one first round pick, and I'm okay with that. And then you sign Rashawn Holmes, because what you guys are both telling me is that neither guy moves. So what happens in the offseason? I know we talked about it already, but that that's a worry for me as well.
0: Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I love Pritchard. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I wouldn't mind having two picks. I said, Danny. I'd say, Danny, you got a whole bunch of them up there, you scoundrel. You know, we're going try to. I said, Danny, we're trying to save your ass here, so uh, give us two picks, and and you, and you might keep your job.
1: I think I rank uh, Robert Williams above Peyton Pritchard only because Pritchard's played thirty six games in his NBA career, and I think Robert Williams, though it's he's played a little bit longer. I see a need for maybe replacing Rashawn Holmes if Rashawn gets a a godfather deal somewhere, um, and and Robert Williams could at least step into that role a bit as a young center. But otherwise, I think, Tony, you're pretty much on the money with that. I think Pritchard is you – know, I would even put him above Neesmith, even though I'm pretty high on Neesmith himself. He yeah. just hasn't played enough for me to evaluate.
0: Yeah, that, I, that's the way with me. I like Neesmith coming out of college, what little I saw of him, because he could really shoot mm-hmm. it. You haven't seen that for sure yet. But the thing about Pritchard is uh, you know he can play in the league. And he's a tough little buckaroo boy. I mean, and, and that that's not going to change. He's not going to turn into a sweetie pie. And so uh, this team not only needs that position, but needs that kind of mentality too. You know the yes. the uh, mm-hmm. you know the TJ McConnell type thing. You know, I mean, sure. yes. I mean TJ is one of those guys that is just better than he's supposed to be every year. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> if the Kings go into this off season. Uh, with their MLE needing a backup point guard, I promise you, I will be banging the sign TJ McConnell drum because he's a free agent, and I would, if you know, if they don't make any other moves for a backup point guard, I am all for adding McConnell as the backup behind Fox. I'll,
0: I'll beat the drum with you. Yeah. We'll have two. We'll, we'll have a drum corps.
1: Yeah. I think I think we have a consensus here for the first time. I think absolutely because I love TJ McConnell, so I would be very very happy to have TJ McConnell as the backup. Also, um, I want to bring up for just a second here, just to make things on a, a dour, sad note. Imagine a world in which uh, Monty McNair got his uh, Bogdanovich trade to, to the Milwaukee Bucks, and you have Dante DiVincenzo, and then you trade Harrison Barnes for Peyton Pritchard, and you have a uh, point guard shooting guard off the bench that are both two little, nah. two little tough jerks that, that are young and cheap and, and can get it done.
0: Yeah, boy. Yeah, that's. So, I'd take it. Well,
1: yeah. I just yeah. wanted I just wanted to depress you guys before. Yeah, well, we, well, you, well you did. Good job. Will. Did. Well mission accomplished.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good job. Good job.
1: That's my role here. Um, so, <laughs> so let's uh let's get to the uh, let's get to the uh, Patreon question of the day. Tony, why don't you go ahead and take that away?
2: All right. Um, as everybody knows, if you've been listening to the show, we have a, a Patreon, patreon.com slash Kings Herald. And once a month, we ask Jerry all the extra questions that we get submitted. And uh, on the podcast, on the regular show, we do ask one of those questions submitted. And uh, Will, you depressed us already. I might dig us a little yes. bit further, deeper into the hole with this question. This comes from um, La Bradford, who is a long time commenter on the king's herald and he asks jerry uh which was sadder and i'm interested for this answer because i was not around in in these days but which was sadder the late 80s early 90s kings or the last 14 years if you had to uh rank the two
0: yeah, boy that's a great question and, and I, I enjoy uh, reading a lot brad the you know by the way he makes some great points great makes some great points uh I really think it's it's lately and I'll tell you why it's different. I mean, the teams are, are better probably. I mean, they're bad, but better. But it's because, you know, you've tasted success. You've seen really good teams. And once you've seen really good teams, it just becomes more hurtful. And, <laughs> and I think uh, sad when you can't get back to that. You know, when the Kings first came, certainly they weren't a good team when it came and, and so there wasn't, A lot to gauge it against. It was a matter of just trying to, you know, quite honestly, I don't remember very well. I mean, you know, it was a team that was underfunded, uh, just didn't have the, quite honestly, the money to be in the league, and tried. But but it was, and everybody's happy with that for a long time, and but then finally, when the team became a really good team in the late '90s and early 2000s, and then and then falling off the map you know, after about 2006 or so, I mean, seven, it, it, uh, yeah, I think this is, it makes it far worse. Uh, you know, I always say, you know, once you've you know, been to, you know, been to the city, it's pretty hard to go back to the farm, you know, uh, and, and I think that's just kind of where it is. So hope that's a, an answer, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think we all have seen great teams uh, uh, or near great teams and feel that that's what we want to see again. And and soon I might add soon, because I am seventy seven friggin years old, <laughs> and, and I'm already I'm already a rounded third base, and I don't want to slide in home yet. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess I won't uh, advocate for the ten-year tank, Jerry. We'll roll it back to seven. <laughs> okay, gap year, will gap year,
2: <laughs> a gap year. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, it's a gap year. We're we I we're appreciate doing. that, Will. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jerry, it's an interesting point that you said that we've tasted success at one point and now we're you know kind of back in the fields of the farm. But I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, they, they turned eighteen, and the young man was talking about, oh, he's a Kings fan. And I said, and and he was born in. Now this 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 hurts my heart, but he's uh, he was born in 2003. Wow. And um, and he's he's 18 years old. And I was like, how how can you be a Kings fan? And he he didn't know anything about me. He doesn't uh-huh. know, uh, he doesn't know me from from anyone else in the world. And he said, well, they've just never been good. And I told him, well, hold on a second here. You were born in 2003. They were good up until 2006. And he went, I was three years old. (laughs) I don't don't remember that. And so uh, there are fans who are now old enough to uh, go to war, old enough to drive a car, old enough to do anything an adult in this world can do. And they don't remember the last time the Sacramento Kings were even decent. And so I think there is a new generation of Kings fans that are growing up that are almost like, the previous generation before the Kings were good that they've never seen the Kings as, as anything other than just, yeah, well, they're just kind of the, they're, they're bad every year, but I still like them because they're, you know, they're the lovable they're, losers. They're, yeah. they are
0: our city team and uh, well, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, you really, that's great. And just, I just add that just the joy that that young man can have someday, I hope, you know, to, yes. to see the Kings have a six, seven year run, like we got to, experience you know that uh you know so let's hope
1: if the kings can i think that'll be the difference between me and him and the kings go to the playoffs three years in a row for me i'll be like finally and for this guy he'll be pumped because it'll be the first time he's ever seen the kings good and so for me, I'll just be the grump in the stands, going, "Oh, they could have been the sixth seed mm-hmm. if they'd have traded for this guy." Mm-hmm. And he'll be happy with with the playing game that they made it from the seed. Oh yeah, game. we're
0: we're all tarnished, you know. I mean, really, we are. I mean, we're yeah, we're kind of and, and it's really broken. Yeah, yeah, So it's so it's so it's very different. But but uh, yeah, I think that's uh, you know, and like I say, I, I, my dad would grew up a Cubs fan, you know, and I never could understand yeah. that, but he said, "Well." I'm just a Cubs fan. That's all, Bernie Banks and the whole bit. And I, he said, "I hope they win someday," but I'm a Cubs fan. And I, so I learned. And of course, unfortunately, he didn't live long enough to see them actually win. But but I mean, I think there and I and I think there's a lot of people in the King's Herald that are that are King's fans, and you know, such as we are too. But probably not as. Uh, tarnished psychologically broken as we are
2: we've got all the broken people we've collected them all we've rounded them up yeah. and they're on the king's sir yeah
0: but uh but you know i mean I, I you know it's just the way it is you know i mean it, it, we've seen good basketball we we know what it can be and 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 can be again and that's that's the the issue i mean if you didn't know what can happen and how good it can be uh, a lot of what we talk about wouldn't make any sense anyway. but but, but that's what that's kind of our, our role is like say, yeah, we, we we're for the kings, but we want them to be really good. And uh, sometime in our lifetimes,
1: that's it. In your lifetime, Jerry, I can, I can wait a little while. To, yeah, You're the goal here.
0: <laughs> oh, well, okay. Thanks. I, uh, I'll i take that. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and, uh, and at a time when I actually know they're good. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, in, in the home and somebody tell me that's, that's something I, I want actually people to know what's going on. And I, I more or less do right now.
1: Let's uh, let's roll into uh, the Reynolds wrap up, Jerry. What do you have for us this week?
0: Well, I I, I just uh, the the thing I uh, caught my attention is of course some of the 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 Atlanta Hawks. You know they changed coaches. Uh, you know there wasn't a lot of criticism because the guy they did hire was uh, Nate McMillan, and of course they're seven and zero. And 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 I watched them a lot, and they are uh, truly playing a lot better. Now, is it all Nate? I think a lot of it is. A little bit of it's Bogey getting healthy. He's really helped him since he's got back. He's had a few really good games. Uh, but the, it's just, uh, you, you know, it's interesting how quick things can change in the NBA and where Atlanta can go from being a disappointing team to really moving up the ladder in uh, just a coaching change. And then uh, conversely, and just, you know, the fact that Nate was let go in Indiana and In Indiana has been struggling of late, you know, and uh, of course, I, like I say, I talked to, to, to Larry Berto a good bit. I know, you know, he's just moderately involved with the pistol or the Pacers, but he said, yeah, he was one of those said, man, there was never a reason to get rid of Nate McMillan. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, yeah, Nate's, uh, you know, you'd be one of those guys that if, you know a lot of fans would say if the you know he was available to coach the kings or any other team well why you want to hire a retread that's why you hire a retread because they're good some are good at what they do mm-hmm. actual proven coaches of basketball that's, that's that's sometimes what's why you want to retread
1: well for everyone here at uh, the king's herald podcast i'd like to thank you for listening to another episode um wherever you find us please please uh, take a second to uh like rate and subscribe to us it helps us out in terms of getting uh, extra viewers and uh, moving our numbers up a little bit um but for uh, everyone here i'd like to thank you and uh and we'll see you guys after the trade deadline i'm sure we'll have nothing or everything to talk
2: about tony's on the gun believe a hey, if i'm right i will talk about it a lot if i'm wrong i will never mention it again so
0: that's that's been my strategy
2: <laughs> thanks everyone